Hola, hello, hi, bienvenido, and welcome back or welcome to Mentors Today Season 3. Ileana, this is a loaded question today, but como estas, mi amiga? <laughs> hi, everybody. Hi, Rob. Well, today I test positive of COVID. <laughs> oh, welcome to the club. Finally, a different answer, no? Right. Yeah. Almost. You did a masterful job of avoiding it for two years, but Omicron seems unstoppable at this point. Yeah, but I'm fine. Still fine. So please, everybody stay safe at home. Take care of yourself. A little new twist. And thank you for, for powering up and still being here because we're super excited about this conversation with Dulce. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Dulce is an education advocate, changemaker, and passionate community leader who is currently running for elected office in the Los Angeles City County District 9. Dulce is currently serves as a director of strategic partnerships in the office of the president of Arizona State University. She is responsible for developing strategy and university-wide partnerships, furthering university initiatives, managing special projects, and expanding ASU's presence in Los Angeles. She was previously the managing director of Socalo Public Square, LA Civics Forum. She runs Socalo's programming, finances, strategic partnerships, developing a human resource for nine years. And after spending half of her childhood undocumented, she attended to Northwestern University as the Gates Millennium Scholar and received a BA in political science in philosophy. She also studied at the Institute of that that is in that is in French, but is the Institute <laughs> of the Student Politique de Paris. She has a master in public policy from the UCLA Lockling School in Public Affairs. And in her spare time, she volunteers as a public affairs associate with the American Red Cross of Los Angeles. She mentors young women with the Girls Today Women Tomorrow Youth Development Program and Riordan programs. Lulce, welcome. We are very happy to have you here. And welcome, let's welcome, have this welcome. Thank you for having me. Dulce, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm in in good spirits. A little nervous that you know I'm running for Los Angeles City Council, and the election day feels Ooh. like it is very very soon. What when is the election? It's June seventh, twenty twenty two. So we've got the election coming up. It's a little less than six months. A little uh, less than five months. Okay. See, there you go. You're paying attention to the details. We have a bunch of questions. We'd love to give you the chance to share with us. But I think the first one. It is not often that you get to talk to a Tampikenya. There you we go. Right. Yes. You said it right. Right. That we get to talk to a Tampikenya here in South LA who's running for the city council in Los Angeles, who is your age, right? And experience level. So give us a little background on the life story. How did we wind up here today? Yeah. Well, you're right. There there are not a lot of Tampikenyas. There are a lot, not a lot of Tamaulipecos in Los Angeles either. And, and if you even zoom a little bit further, there are not a lot of Huastecos in California. A lot of us, you know, Tampico is on the Gulf Coast of Mexico. The migration patterns are usually into Texas. So there's a larger contingency on the other side of the country. But really, Los Angeles, I completely fell in love with. I visited when I was in college and everything that I missed about Mexico and everything that I love about being American was in Los Angeles. And when I thought about my career and my life and, and the life that I wanted to live, it was definitely here in Los Angeles. So I've been here since. 
And for our guests, just some context, you live in, like, like describe your district, describe this part of the city that you live in. Because most, most people don't understand, yeah. La, they just think of Los Angeles as the Hollywood sign. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the Hollywood sign or like Rodeo Drive or Venice Beach, right? right? That's, what, that's what people think about when you think about Los Angeles. But, you know, the people that work in all of those places that you have mentioned, probably a lot of them live in this district. So a little bit of a civics lesson for everyone. Los Angeles County is 10 million people, goes north to Palmdale and, and south, uh, goes all the way east to Claremont. It's a very, very massive county. Within that county are 88 cities. And one of those cities is Los Angeles. It happens to be the largest of the cities at four, a little over 4 million people of the 10 million people that live in LA County. Within the city of Los Angeles, there are 15 council members that represent us. We have sort of a, not really bicameral, it's, it's, there's a mayor plus 15 council members that govern together. We have a weak mayoral system, so our council is really strong. There are 15 members, there are 15 districts, so divide 4 million people into 15 districts. And one of those districts is District 9 has about 260,000 people. Every district is similarly sized. Just went through a redistricting process because of the census that happened last year. And this district, Rob, it is south of downtown. It goes south of the 10, for those of you familiar with Los Angeles. It straddles the 110 corridor south of downtown. It includes the Staples Center, LA Live, uh, USC, Expo Park, so the Coliseum and the Bank of California Stadium, that's relatively new, but also very historic parts of Los Angeles, like the historic Central Avenue Corridor. You think back to like the jazz golden age, like that was it that was here in this district here in Los Angeles. The statistics on the district are pretty horrendous. This is the district, the second highest rate of homelessness in our city. It has the lowest average median household income at $29,000 a year. It has the highest rental rate in the district. So conversely, also has the lowest rate of homeownership in the entire city. It has the lowest formal educational attainment. And when it comes to climate change, this is where you see the most pollution due to climate conditions, where you see the highest rate of overcrowding of homes. And that's due a lot to many different issues, but that gives you a little bit of a snap, not snapshot. And in, in terms of demographics, this is the highest Latino population in the entire city at about 80%. And it is also the youngest district in the city where the average age is about 28, whereas citywide is about 35. So ideally, the constituencies would literally be represented by somebody like them. Ideally. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and and in the interest of full disclosure and transparency on the show, I am a, I'll be a tiny little supporter, but big vocal supporter of Dulce and her campaign. So that's one of the other reasons I was excited to have her on here is because fundamentally, I believe in many of the things that she believes in. And I believe in her vision for, as we are always, Ileana and I, the show, our business at Growth Hacks, supportive of the quote unquote future, the next generation of leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, investors, et cetera. So, um, so yes, ideally they would be represented by someone <laughs> of their own same age and background constituency. All right. So I'm going to ask a question. Why politics? I get it. I heard it in the bio, right? You got my master's in public policy. So why politics and why 
LA city council. I mean, you could be doing anything with your life. Why this, why now? Yeah. So, so great question because, you know, on the, on the really hard days, I I do sit down and I'm just like, what am I doing? I have an amazing career in a sector that I absolutely love and believe in. I work for Arizona State University here in Los Angeles doing expansion efforts because for me personally, and you know, and through my own experience of going to college, I think, and I believe that higher education is a catapulting force out of poverty. And here in California, we're not doing a good enough job at expanding seats, literally growing our higher education seats to keep up, not just with the population growth, but also to keep up with the knowledge economy jobs that are open and will continue to grow exponentially over the next 10, 15, 20 years that will need a bachelor's degree in order to fulfill those jobs. So ASU has taken a very creative tech first approach to how we do that. And we're figuring out how do you do a chemistry lab online, right? Historically, you do that in the lab and you've got the beakers and the whatever. I'm horrendous at math. But how do we do that through augmented reality? How do we do that with an Oculus headset, right? Where you get similar results and you're learning, you know, you can take these hardcore science degrees remotely and you don't need a physical space in a campus. Because if we wait to keep expanding opportunities until we build physical campuses, like we're not going to get there. Right. We're just not going to get there. So anyways, so I I sit here and and I think about my incredible career. And why I've decided to do this, and it's not just because I have a degree in political science, it's not just because I have a degree in public policy, it's it's these issues that I've cared about for a long time, and I've been advocating for, you know, in however vehicle that I've had, I've used my voice frequently and through many different mediums. But I think the, the, the catapulting moment was obviously the pandemic. Okay. When I think about education, when I think about communities that look like mine, when I think about sort of forward-looking trajectories, March 2020, I sat there, I'm just like, what do I do? The first thing I'm like, all right, the schools are going to close, but they'll be open for food distributions. So I signed up with the Red Cross, became a Red Cross volunteer. And the first thing we did was start distributing meals to, to students. And I could see not just that the meals were being given out to students. And you have to think to yourself, right? That like these families rely on their kids being fed in school. They rely, their budget relies on them not having to feed their kids for 10 meals a week, right? right? And then when we were distributing food, you know, we were giving the directive, don't ask how many students they have, just ask how many meals they'd like. So we were just not just feeding students, we were feeding families. Sure. So that's literally bottom of the rung, right? Like when you're thinking about the the hierarchy. Feeding our fellow citizens. You know, when you think about the hierarchy of needs, right? First, people are fed. Great. And then I just started thinking to myself, like, well, you have so many students, A, that don't have hardware, right? That don't have computers. So like our city started giving away computers and Chromebooks and whatever. And then it's like, well, 
we don't have reliable internet in South LA. We've had such disinvestment in our infrastructure that even today, you know, I buy the highest speed internet and it's not reliable. Right, exactly. It's also not reliable. So when you think about some of these families that have students trying to live stream, but they also have like multiple students living in the same household, I, I just felt like it wasn't enough. And then the third part where I was like, shit, like I'm a good student. I would be there like trying to do my schoolwork, trying to do my Zoom, also helping my little brother, right? Because my parents, my mom cleans houses to this day. My dad's in construction. They would have been, you know, off to do essential work now, right? That we rebranded it. But my cousins, my cousins son canijas. <laughs> and they would likely go tell my tias, oh yeah, school's just out for the summer. And you know what? That literally happened across our city where we had 44,000 students that we were unaccounted for for the first couple of months of the pandemic. So when I think about education, you know, that's the that's the main thing. And I see education and everything because we just clearly saw that education is in our public health. It's in our public broadband broadband infrastructure. But then further than that, like I was pissed that all of the media right? They're like, oh yes, quarantine, stay home, don't go out, but like also go out and get some fresh air, go, uh, you know, go to the park and like stay away from people. And I think about South LA where we have the lowest green space per capita. And I'm like, lady, like we, we don't have any parks in South LA and our green space is in our schools and our schools are locked. locked And we can't go in there. So tell me if I'm wrong here, what I'm hearing, it almost might've been like the running for office part. Maybe the question is really reversed. Maybe the running for office part is just the natural byproduct of your life's focus and your passion. And and the more predictable thing was actually the public policy studies and the degree in politics, right? Because basically you have been, you've looked at the world through this filter since you were young. And it was- Since I was little. Yeah, so you're not running now because you studied these things. You studied those things because eventually- you someday, lived yeah. so I yeah. lived those things. Someday so, you were eventually going to run for some no, somewhere. No, no, <laughs> oh my god, no! I would. I don't know. This is this is a direct result of me looking at the things that have happened and thinking that my experiences have shaped the way I see policy, and I have studied policy to understand how you make those changes. And now I look around and I'm like, no one is making those changes. I can make those changes because I understand what these people are going through. They're my neighbors. They are people who are, have been undocumented, just like I have been, who have struggled to edit their high school essays because our parents couldn't help us edit them. You know, we have gone through institutions that were unfriendly to people who look like me. And you know, we've had people who couldn't help us and and had to figure it out by, by myself or by ourselves. So, you know, I think it's particularly in the city. And as I as the pandemic kept going on, you know, I had studied big policy issues, right? Education, consumer protections, immigration that were at the state and federal level. And I just sat down and and, and looked exactly at my street. And I'm like, none of that stuff happens. All of those policies that are at the state and federal level don't happen if they're not implemented well at the local level. And and that's literally the first time where I'm just like, yes, city council is where we can make the most change in this block, in this community, in this district. 
Awesome. Jose, you are the youngest ever candidate for the LA City Council. I am not. Okay. No? I'm not. Okay. No. We were wondering that. And also we were wondering if you were the only formerly undocumented immigrant run for the city. So on the second part, I'm awaiting confirmation. Uh -huh. If elected, I would be the first formerly undocumented. We okay. are 90% sure that it's a yes. On the first part, I would definitely not be the youngest. I want to say Alex Padilla, our current senator, was 26 when he got elected. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I've had so many people tell me like, oh, you're too young to run for office. I'm like, yo. <laughs> and like, we're not going to, and I've learned my lessons. I'm not about to mention your age because it's all women on this podcast. But let's yeah. just say you're so, older than 26. Yeah, I'm, I'm way older. I'm I'm about to turn 36 next month. But um, okay, you said it. I, I didn't say it. I, I know. I know. So so Rob, though, at 36 years old, I would be the youngest currently serving council member in LA City Hall, and I would also be the first millennial to serve on LA City oh. Council. Well, that's uh, and, right. I mean. Ile is a fellow millennial. My daughter's a millennial. My daughter teases me and says, I'm the world's oldest millennial. It's it's critical. I, it's just critical. Yeah. It's very inspiring too. I just compare these to Mexico and that doesn't happen that much to have this very young representation in our government. We always tend to think of all the politicians as like in their 40s or 50s. Unless you're in the US, it's like 70s and 80s. Yes. No, yeah, too, too. But it's not that common that we have people that are very young in politics, like participating and wanting to make a change. See. So I have a question that's in this one selfish. It's kind of focused on our audience a bit more specifically. You have small business and small business support even means like super micro, like the one person standing on the corner with a taco stand or et cetera. But I also know you're you're thinking wider scale, right? And the importance, you've already referenced technology and the importance of technology and job creation, et cetera. Talk to us about that. Talk to us what, what like why small business or what we call the entrepreneurial economy is important in this vision that you see for a future LA. And thank you for, for sort of tying those two together because it is, you know, the one person taco stand is an entrepreneur. And, and we've sort of come to dismiss them or diminish them for their efforts. And, you know, again, <laughs> pandemic related. I was so angry when they said that stimulus checks could not be given to mixed status families. Because honestly, Rob, like it's Americans who you're hurting because those mixed status families have American children, period. Yep. End of story. So then when it comes to the PPP loans and grants, both at the federal level, at the state level, at the city level that were made available to small businesses, Anyone who has, you know, those micro entrepreneurs uh, that are on the street level who perhaps work under the radar were not eligible for that kind of help. So you saw, particularly in this district, a lot of families struggling because all of a sudden, you know, we canceled all of these big events. So like the hot dog people who line up outside of Bank California that line up outside of Staples Center were without revenue and also without help. But I, I think about small business incrementally, right? It's it's from that, like, how do we help them succeed? How do we make sure that, you know, it's a trickle down, right? If they don't have a massive event by which to earn revenue, then they're missing rent payments. And if they're missing rent payments and 41% and of our district is lives paycheck to paycheck. So that means that they miss a paycheck or two and they are 
not making rent. And if they're not making rent, they're at risk of becoming homeless. And we already have the second highest homelessness rate in the city. So all of this is trickle down effects. And, and I think that small business is a way to create revenue and to create jobs and jobs is exactly what we need here. But then you zoom in even bigger and bigger and bigger. And I always think that just like talent is so universal, but opportunity is not. And I have met young entrepreneurs, millennial entrepreneurs that everything from brick and mortar to technology, you know, they just need maybe $10,000 in in seed funding to start the first brewery that would be based in this district. And I'm just like, that's not a lot of money. Like, how do we help people connect to the right resources? And I'm just such a big fan of yours. I'm such a big fan of Mickey over at Grid One. Yes. If, if you didn't mention it, I was going to call it out. That's the perfect example, yeah. right? Well, Mickey and then um, Slauson and Co. Like yep. these folks that understand that exactly that talent is universal, but opportunities are not. And, and how do we invest that in a place like South Central? Yeah, it's hugely important. And again, it's one of the reasons that I was so intrigued with the idea of having you on the show is because too oftentimes people want to silo things off and say, well, we'll talk about politics over here. We talk about business over here. And it's, even the, it's even the reason that I use the phrase mm-hmm. entrepreneurial economy, because in LATAM, And even here, oftentimes they're referred to as like, it's an ecosystem, right? It's a startup ecosystem. It's a tech ecosystem. And I'm like, I've never liked the phrase, but I like entrepreneurial economy because I think it is all encompassing. Well, I think, you know, one of the industries where everything sort of comes together between tech, entrepreneurship, city, and financing is the cannabis industry, where we have the mayor last year put into the budget, 300% increase in revenues from cannabis licensing. And I'm just sitting here like, well, who are those licenses going to? Marijuana has been, and cannabis has been a drug that has harmed black and brown people for so long. There are people incarcerated right now who still have drug charges that are now legal. And we have all of these people ready to make money off of them. Well, like, really help the families that have struggled for 20, 30, 40 years because of these charges, because they lost their son, father, brother, et cetera, being put away. And and now like, how do you make up for that? How do you use that to create an economy that's equitable and that benefits the people that it harmed? But, you know, furthermore, when we think about particularly in the cannabis industry, where it's still very much a cash driven economy, if you want to be able to to reinvest and also to make it safe, you know, I'm a huge proponent within the city right now of having the first public bank of Los Angeles, not just for those industries where it's a little bit more difficult for them to have a, a bank account, but also for the thousands and thousands of undocumented that that live in this area and want to make sure that their money is is safe. Well, I listened to all your journey and it's very inspiring for me. But I wonder if you ever deal with imposter syndrome, like in a personal way or professionally, have you ever confronted yourself with this kind of thoughts? Every single day, every day, every day, <laughs> like every single day, walking into any How do you overcome this? Oh, I don't know. Just try to ignore it and, and keep going. And, and it's running... First, being a young person running a nonprofit, 
right? I would often be in rooms with other managing directors, executive directors who were so much older than me. And then it got worse working in academia and, you know, working for a university where everyone has a PhD and everyone is so much older than me. And I'd often be either the only woman in the room or the only person of color in the room. So I went and I got a master's degree so I could, you know, like study, but also like, you know, feel better in some of these spaces. And now running for office and I'm running against someone who has been in politics for 30 years. And I had my first interaction directly with him last week. And he kept saying like, people want experience, people want experience. And I'm just like, yeah, I have no political experience, but I have a 15 year career. Like I have done, I I look at my resume and, you know, sometimes when people read it, like you read it, Ileana, I'm just like, oh man, like I have done some things. And, and, and oftentimes with immigrants, particularly you just lo haces, lo haces, lo haces, like you do it, you do it, you do it. And and you try not to like think back and, and, and And I have a selective. Also your life experience, not only your career experience, you have a background that add value to this time of your life. Exactly. So, so. I hear the noise literally daily and I just have to keep going. You know, just like the, the finding Nemo, like just keep swimming, just keep swimming because the crab mentality, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, los cangrejos, that you're in a bucket and they're going to keep pulling you down. I'm just like, no, man, I'm trying to get over, but also get everyone over with me. If I let you pull me down, I'm not going to be able to help you up with me. And for me, like that's better and that's bigger and we're all going to succeed and we're all going to thrive. I love it. I will. I would like to know what would you say to another little girl in Mexico, Tampico or any other girl in Latin America who aspires to come to USA and make herself a life similar than than yours? Yeah. Uh, so estudian, 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 estudian. You know, mi abuelo siempre me dijo, es lo único que no te pueden quitar. You know, my grandfather said, education is the one thing that they can't take away from you. And my parents very much focused, even though I helped my dad. My dad was a farmer, you know, a dairy farmer when he came to the U.S. And I would help him on my days off. I would help clean houses with my mom on my days off and, and after school. But anything that I needed for education, they always said that it was my job. So even though I wore clothes from La Segunda, if I needed a new book, they made sure that they could get me what I needed to study. So their support has been incredible. And for anyone looking, you know, just study, study, study. It's like the one, the one thing that I feel really can catapult and change your life. 100%. You have an incredible support structure, obviously. You literally have both a team in your professional life and you have a team personally, talk to us about the personal team. Talk to us about the people that are in your life on a daily basis and your cool dogs that keep trying to get on the podcast today, (laughs) Uh, right? Like talk to us about the thing that makes it easy for you to do something so ambitious, which so many people think is crazy, but you do that and then you come home to them on a daily basis and they make you believe it's possible. So talk about those people. Yeah. So, so I talked a little bit about my mother who had me as a teenager. And, you know, I also talked a lot about the immigrant experience that there are so many things that our parents just can't understand about our lives. You know, my parents could never help me with school. They couldn't help me edit my college essays when I was applying to college. They couldn't help me figure out the FAFSA. You know, I had as a 
oldest daughter, you know, first one to go to college had to be the one being like, all right, we have to file your taxes. We have to file them early because we have to do this and we have to do that. And I was always sort of on them. But at the end of the day too, like in any level of, of support, like I know that my mother is my number one champion, my cheerleader, my day one, my OG, she will be the one that even though she can't understand whatever it is that I'm complaining about, she'll just be like, Echale ganas. keep trying. And then obviously my husband, I, I, I could not, he's an incredible spouse and support mechanism. And I literally would not even think about running for office without him as just a phenomenal pillar again and cheerleader. I sometimes I have referred to him as my Doug referring to like the second gentleman of the, of the U S because you know, he's just, he's steady, he's stable. He's amazing. He's encouraging. He's helps me problem solve and troubleshoot. And obviously my campaign manager and team Dulce who do the legwork, right? They're the ones that are helping me draft policy and file for endorsements. And they're hitting the, the, the ground. They are helping me plan events and making sure that I'm talking to voters. And then you just heard my, my dogs. I call them the hashtag CD9 canines. They are very, they're very cool. And they're very handsome dogs. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've got two of them, but they are a joy. You know, they force you out of your own, whatever problems you're having at work or school or campaign or whatever, they don't care. They just love you and they need your attention and you have to take them for a walk. And it's just so amazing for my mental health to have that constant responsibility, but really like love, unconditional. He's like I'm, a, I'm very uh, much a dog person. <laughs> we will have to add up a photo of your dogs. I th uh, I'm feeling the dogs are going to get into this episode somehow. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Hey, Dulce, in every episode, we ask the guests to be the mentor of the day. So I will ask you to please share with us three pieces of upgrade advice for our audience so they can get inspired by you. Oh, I was so not ready for that question. Um <laughs> The, the thing that comes to mind right now is, is get involved. And, and, and that's just blanket, right? I'm, I'm obviously thinking about politics specifically because I feel like a lot of people complain constantly. And I was one of those complainers until I'm like, all right, well, I'm tired of complaining about this. Like, I want to do something about it. I want to be part of that change. But really, like, go out and look at your down ballot candidates. Because so much of the state and national policy doesn't work if it's not being implemented at a local level. So really look into who's running for city council, who's running for judge, you know, in Los Angeles County and in many places, our judges are elected, which to me is like mind boggling, right? That our judges are elected. But, you know, even something small, like School board, you don't have to have children in the local school system to care about what's happening in your school district. Water board, you don't have to be an, a chemist to understand that water is our most valuable resource and how we're using it, how we're dispersing it is really, really important to your everyday life. So really just get involved in some of those things. You know, some of these campaigns are really hard to run because people don't pay attention to them. So there are so many millennials, there are so many women, and there are so many people of color who are running for these seats. So, so get involved and then stay humble. 
you asked me earlier about imposter syndrome, like I can always do more. I, I think to myself, I can always do more. I, I got two. It's <laughs> okay. It's the third one should be anybody who's listening who happens to live in Los Angeles and in the district, vote, right? Like yeah. the vote. And and that's true actually anywhere. Like vote for Dulce, but vote in general, right? Like and, to me, and, it's and get involved. Donate to Dulce. There you go. There you go. Donate so, to Dulce. So, so I will always forever remember this episode for a myriad of reasons, <laughs> uh, most of which the audience will never understand. So this is a fun inside joke. You were a pleasure to have as a guest. This is awesome. I'm proudly a supporter of yours and will do everything I can between now and the day that I watch you get sworn in to be encouraging and, and in your corner um, because you are literally the, the manifestation of what we need to see in our country, but also in Mexico and every other Latin American country that's listening. We need to, we need it's time for the next generations to take over and and take the keys. And as Ilya hears me say all the time, frankly, it's time for us to give the keys to women and let you all take this because we had our run and it's time for you all to take charge and maybe fix all the stuff we've done over the last 500 years. So, so, so one, one thing that uh, someone once said to me that always rings true was that when women are at the table, everybody eats. Yeah, hundred. I mean, I loved my dad growing up, but I hundred percent would have voted for my mom ten times out of ten. <laughs> right? So yes. Muchísimas gracias, Dulce. Eh, para mí ha sido también muy inspirador conocer a una mujer que está haciendo un cambio, una mexicana que está en otro país con toda esta trayectoria. Thank you so much for your time. I would like to everybody to know your story from now on. I will tell everybody that I that I met you because this for me has been very inspiring. So before we go, I would like you please share with us where we can find you on social media. Yes, at Vasquez Dulce, V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z. And I am on very active on Twitter. So you can see my stream of consciousness on Instagram and newly on TikTok. So Ooh. I've gotten with the times I'm on TikTok. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go TikTok. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm less active on Facebook, but we do have a Facebook page too. And oh. prospective supporters, donors, people who are interested in what you believe in can donate on those or find a way to be able to donate through those. Yes. Yeah, so they can go straight to dulcevasquez.com. Awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. It was thank great. You thank you so much. As always, we thank you so much for listening. Today's show was recorded in Los Angeles and Guadalajara, produced by Deanna Bernal in Mexico City, and promoted by the content team at Growth Hacks in Tijuana, Mexico. You can always find and share our show via any popular podcasting platform, as well as find us on social media at Mentors Today on Instagram. If you'd like to connect with our hosts, you can find them on Twitter or Instagram at I am Rob Ryan or at Ileana JAF. Gracias, thank you, and we'll see you next time.